Welcome to the Broken Pie Trap Podcast, episode 260. I'm your host, Derek Moore. With me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zega Financial, Jay Pestercelli. Jay, what's going on today? You know, earlier, Derek, in the day, I thought I was going to be able to say another Friday, another all-time high. It just, we didn't close there. We touched a new all-time high during the day, but Thursday closed at a new all-time high. So, look, I'm going to say the trend continues another week, another high. The market continues to to move. It, it, it blew off some scary news, like it was nobody's business, right? A decline on, what was it, Tuesday after CPI, and then, ah, it's okay, recovery, recovery, new all-time high. Although Friday here, you know, we did not close at the all-time high. But still, another another check mark. I'm putting it on the box, I, I, on the board. I told you last week I'm going to keep a board. Now I've got four in a row. I don't know if that's right or not, but that's what I got since I started tracking it. Well, all right. Didn't I say that the market was going to be at 5150 at the end of the week? So I lost this week's between you and I. Oh, no, no. You said it would no, no, get no. to 4950. I, yeah. I, no, no. I said 4900 or 5150, and neither of us, neither of those two things happened. I got very close at 4920, did not get to 4900. You said 5150 before 4900. I think that's the, so the jury's still out on this one. Right. Although it's leaning towards me. Yeah, it wasn't in the next week. Okay. We didn't put ourselves under that pressure. It was not in the next week. Remember, right. you just skated by on breaking the 5,000. You know, you got two days above 5,000. There's no skating. You, got it. you either got it. You either win or you lose. It's, it's, why you, it's why you use limit orders, Derek, right? Use a limit that's right. order. You hit your number, you buy and you sell. I used a limit order today, actually. As did I. Uh, <laughs> San Francisco 49ers got no trophy for being close. Let's just put it that way. Oh, man. Extra point. Extra point. Okay. Let's move there's on. Some game, there's some game theory. Maybe if we have time later, we'll talk about game theory and NFL overtimes. I do want to talk about, so last week I made the case that maybe PE ratios or forward PE ratios are useless, Jay. And uh, had some oh, people. You, you said you were going to be bold and be a contrarian. I am. I am still standing behind that. Okay. For, for the record, uh, we, if this is accurate, we're at about twenty-one point four six forward PE. Meaning, we're trading basically about twenty-one and a half times forward earnings. The earnings next year, over the next four quarters, two thirty-four point four five per share on the S and P five hundred. And, you know, people say that's kind of high. And I looked at some charts, and I was like. I don't know if it really matters if you buy when it's high or buy when it's low. But somebody said, hey, does PE really not matter? And I said, well, here's the way I look at it. You have to explain over from one year to a next or from the start of the decade to the end of the decade, if you want to do the attribution, meaning what caused the market to go up or down. Okay, well, earnings could go up or down, meaning you know earnings per share on the S&P 500. And or the multiple can change. Those are two things. And of course, within the earnings, if I want to get fancy, I'm not going to do that right now. You could say, oh, if there are buybacks, you reduce the share count. So this price could go up without earnings going up because the share count went down, you know, and then you have dividends and all that stuff. So let's just, and the, the whole idea, Jay, if I set this up, if we have a thousand shares and we make 2000 bucks, okay, what's the, what's the earnings per share there? It's it's two bucks per share. Two bucks, right? Yeah, two dollars right. divided by yeah, yep, two thousand divided by a thousand. All right, so this is 
And, and if the price of the stock, and we'll call it XYZ, our favorite stock is 20, we'd say it's trading at 10 times earnings, 10 times $2 EPS is, is 20. All right, great. So let's say the price goes up to 30 from 20 and the earnings didn't change, the share counts didn't change, you still have the $2 EPS. Well, now we're trading at a trailing PE of 15 instead of 10. That's a 50% increase in the multiple. And by the way, that's a 50% increase in the price. So it's kind of an example of if you want to explain how a market moves, the multiple can change or the earnings per share can change. I know we have other stuff below the surface. But, you know, and Jay, we look at 2023 was interesting uh, sort of example. Earnings were down a little under 1%. I mean, basically flat, but a little under 1%. And the total return, including dividends, was like 26.3%. So, you know, I, I would say it, it's important, but just because it's at, at high levels doesn't mean it can remain at high levels. And Jay, you've always made the point that it's the forward things that market looks at. They're forward looking. Yeah, I mean, the, it's the market's always ahead on this stuff. And so you're right. So last year, earnings were flat to down, but the market was up. 26%. So you'd be like, okay, so the market doesn't care about earnings. Yeah, but the year before when the market was down 18%, it was, I, I would theorize it was projecting that earnings were going to be down. Then you do the next skew, like the earnings of 2022 were up 12%. The market in 2021 was up 28%, right? So I do think that there's something to be said here about kind of the project the nature of, you know, what the market does ahead of those earnings happening. I'm just, you know, if you put these off, you know, Derek would be interested to put these off just, you know, not right now, but put these off on like a one-year skew and look at the difference. And I think you'll definitely see a higher correlation. But you're right. That last year, earnings are flat, market roared, and it's still roaring. So what is what is it telling you about earnings for 2024 with what the market is doing early this year? It's probably, I mean, it's optimistic, no? Yeah, I mean, earnings are projected to grow about 5.9%. So it's, I think that and also interest rates, we can hold, set that off aside. But yeah, I mean, it's looking at 5.9% growth next four quarters and the next, uh, from quarter five through eight, it's like plus 12.86. Analyst estimates, they can change. But yeah, it's it's forward looking for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, that's it. You got nothing that's else? That's Listen, I, earnings still matter, everybody. Like, don't think they don't matter. I think you were just saying the timing of earnings can well, be a little skewed. The forward and the other thing is, is, yeah, yeah. The forward PE ratio is, yeah. I think it's overrated as, as a, oh, we're overbought. We're overbought. I mean, it, yeah. Of course, if you buy, you know, all right, let's set that aside. I think we've, we beat that up enough. Uh, you want to get crazy, Jay? Let's get a little crazy with. Let's uh, get crazy. Let's build. Let's Michael Keaton. Let's get crazy. Let's do it. No, that was Costanza, wasn't it? No, doesn't he say when he's Batman and he's saying it to the Joker? You want to get crazy? Let's get crazy. No, okay. I think it was. No, you're probably right. But Costanza does it too. You want to get yeah. crazy? Let's get crazy. That's, that's true. Right. Skew out there. Skew. Oh boy. Skew. All right, we're gonna get. Let's do it. Let's go there. All right, so, what is skew? <laughs> so if, if you think about the shape of a smile and you imagine what's the implied volatility of puts on the left side and what's the implied volatility 
of calls on the right side. And we say skew or the smile because you say, if out of the money puts and out of the money calls had the same implied volatility and, and just saying, you know, uh, how much premium or how much movement is baked into those, they would be symmetrical. Usually, Jay, puts have higher volatility in the premiums than calls do. So somebody had sent me this chart, and I think it's meant to scare people. And they had big prominent letters, February 2008, Valmageddon. And the point that they're making is the difference in the 25 delta out of the money put uh implied volatility minus the 25 delta implied volatility of the of the call side is is getting pretty low it's uh i think it was 1.44 meaning the difference and they're making the case that hey it hasn't been this low since volmageddon and that's where some vix etfs went uh, or vix etns basically went poof because the the vix futures doubled and you know, there was some upset in the market. So let me kind of stop there. I like to let you also clean it up or, or give your own yeah, spin so, on this. So normally this number, right, when you, when you look at puts versus calls, the implied volatility. So puts typically have higher implied volatility. Why? Why are people willing to pay more for puts? Well, there could be a lot of reasons, but the main one is people are putting on protection, right? <clears throat> By people's, it's actually institutions just as much as individual traders. So, of course, there's speculation to the downside. That's fine uh, that people will, you know, short-term trade puts with a limit order. Somebody might have done that recently. We might have talked about that earlier. So, but puts in general are more expensive. And so the point of using implied volatility that tells you how much people are willing to pay for the directional move, right? Puts are a bearish move. So if you're willing to pay more for a put, great. The other side of it here with a call um, when calls start to increase their implied volatility, uh, well, that means that people are more optimistic about the market. They're willing to pay more for calls. Now, we are in a little, uh, you know, an environment where calls are, are cost a little more than, than they historically do for interest rates, and we've talked about that in the past. So what this is telling you, that the difference between the put speculation and the call speculation has narrowed to the point where they're, you know, they're almost kind of even, like a one, as I say, a 1.4 difference between the implied volatility on the put and the call. So, so there's two ways that this can happen. It's the difference between the two. So either call IV went up or put IV went down or a little bit of both. And right now it's a little bit of both. You've got the VIX low, volatility in general is low. You've got interest rates, which put, so implied volatility on puts dropping. You've got interest rates, which are higher, which uh, drives the call implied volatility higher. So you've got some pieces there. You, you've also got a market that's ripping to new highs. And so the, uh, you know, you have traders that might be selling puts for income, right? In that, in that scenario, which also drives down the IV. Or you have speculators that are saying, you know, the trend is my friend. I'm going to buy more. Uh, I need the calls will begin to uh, be more expensive as the market continues to press through new highs. We're not even going to talk about a gamma squeeze. I think there's just a lot of things that are moving around here that are causing this chart to say, look, 
the difference between how expensive puts are and calls are have really never been this low, except for one really scary time in 2018 called Volmageddon. And that really only impacted a small portion of the market. It caused a little bit of a market oscillation for what, maybe like a week. And then, you know, February was back on track in 2018. But yeah, so this is like a weird situation that's supposed to, you know, set off some alarm bells. But 2018 is not comparable to what is happening in 2024 because the situations are very different. However, this is a stark difference. Like this chart is moving. I'm not saying it can't get, you know, it's over and they'll have a reversal. So yeah, that's really the question here, Derek. So what does this mean? So if you were going to get a reversal of this put call implied volatility skew, meaning the puts ended up being more expensive than the calls, what are the ways that that could happen? Like, let's talk about the ways that puts can increase in value compared to the cost of calls. What would you say would be the number one reason for that? Well, I mean, let's look at supply and demand, right? I mean, there's if the demand for put goes up relative to calls, and I would say if we get a little upset in the market, it couldn't. It doesn't have to be a major thing, but I think you know the demand for insurance goes up, right? Exactly, exactly, right. And so we all call the, the you know not we a lot of people call the VIX index the fear index. Well, that when that spikes, it's because volatility is spiking in option pricing. And that can go up when there are calls, but it really goes up when puts, uh, you know, well, there's dynamics here, but when puts get more expensive, that's usually an indicator of fear and usually means the market is going down. So that would be a way that this number would return back to normal where put volatility would go up. You know, in another way, this difference could uh, happen is call volatility could drop. Two ways that'll happen. Interest rates can go down. We talked about that earlier. Or there's just a lot of folks that don't take a complete bearish position. They're willing to just sell calls at this level, take advantage of it. I'm going to tell you something. Before this, uh, before we got on the podcast here, we were looking at one of the trades, Derek. This is, you know, I'm throwing you a curveball. This, we were looking at the uh, high probability option strategy that we run, our aggressive version. We were looking at selling calls on the Russell, on the rut, right? We're already in short puts that we got in earlier. This is one of the strategies we run. It's the high probability option strategy, aggressive style. Some of you may know it. Some of you may have a love-hate relationship with it, as, as, as anybody that's been in a while will, will, will attest to. But Derek, 13% out of the money puts for three weeks meet our entry criteria. 13% out of the money for three weeks on the run. That is expensive for calls, meaning we're able, the market is projecting higher numbers than where we're looking at uh, than it would normally look at. Like I was I was floored to see a 13% out of the money call spread meeting our, our, our rules. So um, I do think that part of the reason here is calls are getting a bid. So I don't think the puts are... Uh, getting, you know, the market is getting sanguine. I think calls are getting a bid. So I think one way this returns back to normal is that people sell more calls and calm down all of the speculation that's here on the upside. But there's quite a bit of speculation on the upside. We're seeing it all over the place in the options. Yeah, I mean, put some color on this. Uh, I think this said it was the one month, right? Yeah, so, so if I yeah. look at the one month out SPX option chain, 
the, to, to just throw so everybody knows what 25 delta means. It's about, for the put side, about 2.3% below the market are the, the option strikes that, that this is referring to. So today, that would be about 48.90. And we closed at 5,005.57. And then for calls, it'd be about the 5120s, also 2.3% out of the money. And that kind of shows the the symmetricalness of this right now. The, yeah, the you know, the, 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 the thing that's great about this, if you're, we talked about collars last week mm-hmm. a little bit with the, our Gen Zers. Um, you know, if you're looking for a costless collar, you you have upside, downside uh, being equal one month out. It doesn't happen all that often. It really doesn't. And I think a lot of it, Derek, is because calls are more expensive than they normally are. They are. They are. Yep. It's not that puts are cheap. I think just calls are more expensive. Puts are cheap, by the way. It's both. Yeah, no, it it is both. And I also think... It also goes into if you're a market maker and you think about if if somebody is buying a call from me and I'm a market maker, I'm selling a call to somebody else. And then I have to do what? I have to buy shares of stock to hedge. But it's almost like imagine if you were a store owner and you're like, hey, all these people are buying apples. um, And, you know, usually oranges are much more expensive and apples are cheaper. Everyone's buying apples. I, I want to slow the, the 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 people buying the rate of people buying apples. I'll raise the price. You know, it's uh, it's kind of one of those things. So in in a weird way too, it might be on the market maker side from their books and their inventory, being like, all right, if people want calls, you're going to pay up for them right now because they're in demand. You know, so totally unofficial, unsubstantiated view of that, but that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're in an inter- interesting times. You know, these are the things that all kind of happen when when you get, you know, I'll say a prolonged directional move. And th- this move up has been since, what, the beginning of November? So you've got November, December, January. It's like 10 percent November, yeah. I think it's more. I think, yeah. So it's... it's Could be. Yeah. It's, it's we're at the, you know, three and a half months of just one direction. You start to, you know, things will... Well, I don't want to make any predictions here, but you know, I took the forty nine hundred, and you took the fifty one fifty. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. I think we it, the best thing too is, and th- this is good. So we we talk about stuff all the time. I always remind the audience, you know, it, it, like we were just showing the an example of a trade. Don't don't we're not giving recommendations here. Like the core thing we do is we buy, we hedge. Uh, Derek at zegafinancial If you want to know more about how we. We run portfolios, but like these are all kind of examples. So, all right, Jay, let's let's switch to correlation and dollar index versus, let's say, the S and P five hundred index. This has been something that I watched for a long time. You brought it up recently, but let me let you start on this one. Okay, so. I, you know, one of the things we've talked about are what are the things that are potentially driving this market, right? And I just, I happened to look and in the past, uh, you know, we talked a lot about how does the dollar impact, you know, uh, the value of equities. And, you know, Derek, you've always had a great perspective on this. But if you look since, you know, the beginning of this year, the dollar index has been on the rise. And so has the has the equity market. And so I know we talked about equity started in more like November, 
But if you look at, you know, January in the dollar index, you know, it's up, I don't know, from 101 to 105, touch 105. Uh, you know, it's been kind of trending up uh, recently. And I just I just wanted to bring this to light and see, like, if you could see, a, a, you know, more of a, a correlation as to where we are. Uh, you know, in previous years, we've definitely seen a higher correlation between these. And then some years, they're exactly opposite. So right now, it feels like we've got correlation on this, Derek, no? Yeah, no, they are more correlated. And, and it's very different because if you look at 2021, uh, towards the end of 21, the very highs in the market, uh, the dollar index was was much lower and it was coming off a lower. If we look at September of 2022, the very lows in the market, so probably September, October, were at the highs for the dollar index. But I would agree. It's. I also feel like, Jay, there's this, this indifference area where once the dollar index gets above a certain level, then it starts to matter. Um, I don't know. It, it's. You're right, though. They're moving up together, and I wouldn't expect that if I would say, because I kept saying, in order for the markets to go up, the dollar has to go lower. But yeah, Jay, it's it's a little more correlated right now. A little correlated. Kind of like how bonds are kind of correlated to the equity markets as well. Like they all kind of fall into the same same category when you start to look at some of these charts just today, right? I mean, just now, yeah. like the last few months, right? That's not always the case, but we're in this like kind of regime where everything is starting to look a little more correlated, which means when it all unwinds, could also unwind together at the same time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people, and I was in the camp too. I thought the dollar would be much lower. So by the way, the dollar index is just a collection of, it's a basket of currencies uh, against the, the US dollar. And the dollar index, the normal dollar index, it's very Eurocentric. It's the Euro, it's the pound, uh, also the Japanese yen, probably 10, 11% from memory makes makes up that. And there's also a trade weighted US dollar index, which is weighted based upon all our trading partners. But yeah, I mean, I also think maybe it's it's the dollar index is sort of coincidental right now. And it's really, it goes back to rates where this market is really priced in for lower inflation, lower rates. And if you get lower rates, the dollar index should should decline as it gets, it's relative to other currencies. But yeah, I mean, and, and Jay, I always remind people, uh, and and you, can, I'll ask you the question: you know, Why does why is a lower dollar better for U.S. global multinational companies? By the way, like Microsoft and Apple and a lot of people, right? Yeah, well, it's it's better because you know when they sell, uh, you know, they sell their widgets overseas. Everyone uses widgets in this example. They mm -hmm. sell their widgets overseas when those you know euros or you could pick the, you, one of the crazy currencies you like to, you like to talk about the loony quite often i think um canada you, uh, yeah. yeah yeah it converts to more dollars as it comes back to the united states and uh that's one of those things where you know just we report earnings in dollars so you know when you when you sell in euros and you get more dollars because the dollar is weaker then uh, guess what you made more money selling the same thing with the same cost but that's why it, it usually helps. But it's it's weird when they're both going up together. You would think it would be detrimental to earnings, but you know, not in this case, not what's going on right now. It's just, you know, 
there's so much margin in chips, semiconductors. I guess it doesn't matter, Jay. <laughs> it's all about NVIDIA. It's it. I mean, right? The 21st. So that's next week. That's that's, next. We'll be talking about NVIDIA next week, I'm sure. I know. That's the... I'm trying to think. So AMD, did they disappoint a little bit or did they, they guided? I mean, AMD has been on a rocket ship too, for sure. There's the SOX index has been in up. That's the semiconductor index. So, and look, I mean, NVIDIA is a pretty big percent of the, the S&P right now. So that's the great thing about it. The S&P 500. I know everyone keeps complaining about, oh, we have five or 10 or seven stocks that make up most of the S and P, but this stuff changes. It will like, what did we say? 20 or in 1980s, it was Xerox, IBM and, uh, AT&T and Exxon. And those companies are no longer in there. I mean, they're in there, but they're not weighted as high. Have the index make the decisions for you. You don't have to pick the winners. The process will do it for you. Exactly. All right, Jay, this is an exciting moment in the podcast. And the reason why I get to talk Japan. Yep, it's happening. And the reason is Japan, uh, their quarterly GDP percent is in a uh, technical recession. So two quarters in a row of negative GDP growth. Congratulations, Japan. Now, Jay, this is why things are so tough to predict. If I told you ahead of time, with great certainty, in fact, imagine I time I time traveled and knew we were we the Japan will be in a recession in Q4 uh, and Q3, and I had that information and gave it to you. What would you do with the Nikkei index, uh, Japan's? Well, I, I certainly wouldn't want to own stocks. I'd sell it. I, I might even short it if I knew there was going to be, you know, recession. No, and isn't that what, isn't that what we all do when we hear recession? You would have lost your house. Uh, no, the Nikkei is right around all-time highs. In fact, uh, it's so strong right now, we're approaching the 1988, 89 area uh, all-time highs. I mean, that's, it's great. Like I, when I saw you, you put this together, I was like, wait a minute, I just heard that they hit all-time highs. You're telling me that they're in a recession and their market is, you know, showing really no signs of slowing. It's been on the, the, the move higher, gosh, for years, right? I mean, of course, you got your ups and downs, but since 2013, the Nikkei has been moving up higher. And yeah, that, that's nice that you, you know, you you reference the high in the 80s. It's one of those scenarios where, you know, it's not what the U.S. market does, right? Where, uh, you know, buy, you know, you buy and you hold and you hedge and you could be in it for the long term uh, because markets typically make new highs or go higher. That, you know, Japan has been, you know, troubled for a long, long time getting through this. So it's really kind of amazing that it, it's, you know, I, I didn't ask this of you earlier, but, you know, they're finally getting some inflation, right? They've always been fighting, you know, a deflationary fight. So they're finally getting some inflation. Their bond yields are starting to tick up. It's almost like their economy is returning to some normalcy from when it, you know, just completely got out of whack, right? Yeah, I mean, the the argument has has been for a long time that Japan, by keeping their rates at zero or less than zero, actually stymied growth. It has sort of the re, the reverse effect. Like when you make when you have interest rates below the the natural rate of interest, it it's actually problematic. So yeah, I agree. I mean, and, and it's the same case we made in the '90s. I mean, the U.S. was five percent Fed funds rate, and the markets did just fine. 
you don't need zero rates for the markets to do okay. And in Japan's case, Jay, I, I would if I was an attorney, I would say you open the door there for more questioning. And I would go on a one-hour presentation about the history of Japan and interest rates. I won't do that, of course. But, I uh, might be out that week. Well, well no, I was going to do it now. No, right now. I'd be out this week. Then I'm no, out. No, you, you'd hang up? Okay. I already did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy this week. I'm not? Oh, yeah, sorry. Their policy rate, though, is still, I think it's 0.10%. Thembeps, I think, yes. In, yeah, so just it, yeah. slightly, slightly negative, less than zero. Um, their overnight rate is, yeah, basically zero. Zero. The, but their futures, their implied future rate, Jay, this is interesting. Uh, by March, 0.03%. So, <laughs> wow. Crazy. You know, but yeah. Which, by the way, is, is, can I just bring this up? Like why we still watch this, right? Like, so Japanese investors tend to invest uh, in other countries' markets, right? So in order to do this, what do they got to do? They have to convert their yen to dollars, right? Or wherever they're going to invest, right? Because they're not getting a yield at home, right? Domestically. So a lot of times people will see that uh, you watch what happens with the yen, whether investors are selling their foreign investments and that which eventually turns, you know, they got to go back into yen or uh, they're buying foreign investments, which means the yen is, you know, uh, going down because they're buying, they're selling their yen and buying other currencies to buy external uh, indices. So it's one of those things that you've heard, you have to kind of connect the dots here while you've heard the yen is a safe haven it typically indicates when money's flowing into the yen and the yen is going higher that Japanese investors are onshoring, onshoring investing dollars back into their bank accounts, taking it out of external markets. So it's just we talked about Japan. I just thought I'd bring that point up, why people think the yen is a safe haven. It's not always obvious because you got to connect a few dots there. This being one of the dots saying, look, uh, you're not getting paid anything on your money in Japan, right? That's the the idea there. So they go external. Yeah, and it Our goes to demand for treasuries. Air. It goes to, yeah, there's any number of things. Their currency, by the way, it's about 150. And the way you do currencies is when, when two are listed, it's, so for example, it's USD for US dollar slash JPY for Japanese yen. And when you see 150, the one that's listed second the number refers to how many of the second do you need to get one of the first? So you need 150 yen to get one US dollar right now. And so when that goes higher, it means the yen is getting weaker. And, you know, the yen is, it's, it, I mean, it could get weaker here if they keep, if they keep rates down. We'll yep. see. We'll see if they we'll want see. to do that or not. But, all right. I pushed my luck with uh, a couple of minutes on Japan. I slipped in cocoa futures last week. We'll see what I can slip in this week. Jay, I want to get, bring it back to our own markets. And then we got to talk about volatility. But before I do that, a couple of things. There's the, oh, you know, the, the general theme right now is rates will be lower, inflation will be lower, and continue to, to, to trend in that, that way, right? That's the overall. Wouldn't you, you agree? Overall I mean, that's, consensus. It's generally the idea. That's, you know, that's the, yep. Yes, I agree. All right. So let me bring this to you first. This is the uh, the premium or insurance premiums, motor vehicle insurance 
U.S. urban consumers non-seasonally adjusted CPI. So this is how much does insurance premiums rise year over year? Congratulations, U.S. auto drivers. 20.6% was the year over year increase in insurance. Last year, it was 20%. And so, you know, this is the type of stuff that lags. And by, by lag, I mean, you know, you're not re re-upping your car insurance or your home insurance or whatever insurance every month. So it's like, oh, a year later, your policy comes up. Oh, congratulations, it's 20% higher. So I bring this up, Jay, because there's, there's all these little things on the periphery that are still feeling the effects of, of higher inflation. Well, and that's the, you know, if there's something we learned this week, right, between CPI and PPI, inflation is the data point that, uh, you know, still drives the market. Like, I don't love, you know, we talk about a single data point is a single, you know, characteristic of the market is is the the binary factor. But that seems to be the case. It's, it's inflation. We get PCE, which is the inflationary uh, measurement that the Fed uses. Uh, what did we get that next Friday? Am I right about that? I could be... Yeah, I think so. I think somewhere on there. Um, anyway, that uh, that data point is you know going to be the one that really matters. But you know the CPI and PPI that we got this week usually are an indicator of which way the market is going to go based on that. So look, I mean, I think if there's one thing that the market you know is is afraid of is that the Fed has to leave rates higher for longer. I think the market was a little aggressive coming into the year expecting six rate cuts i don't think either of us thought that was possible cpi now remaining a little higher this this week ppi coming a little hotter cpi a little hotter tells us eh, maybe they're not going to cut so much so it's i think it's important to watch the inflation number because it will drive the fed action and tell us if they have they have to continue to leave uh, you know, rates where they are to still try to cool the market down because market's still hot. It's clear. Inflation is not licked. I know we don't have 10% inflation, but it's not at their 2% target. No, it's not. And, you know, oil has been rather subdued. We've seen oil actually, uh, you know, I mean, it's probably at the highest level it's been since November of last year. If I look at a West Tech Texas Intermediate, WTI, Future. Yeah, I mean, it's that. that's if we get a, a repositioning of oil higher, you and I will get into container shipping because I, I, push, I don't want to push my luck at how much I bring that up. But container shipping costs are up higher because of the stuff in the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. Uh, I don't think it's too much to say that that impacts the inflation. So, you know, oil prices, shipping costs, those all matter. And I think there's some risk there. Where we've seen inflation coming down, though, is, you know, shelter is of the CPI. It's roughly, oh, I should have looked this up before the broadcast, Jay. It's probably 45% of CPI. And it's at least that or more of, of core. And so the, the shelter cost, and you're like, what do you mean by shelter? Well, there's rent. So how much does it cost to, to rent a place? There's something called, well, lodging away from home. That's hotels, things like that. And then there's owner's equivalent rent, which basically is a way that's the methodology. And they've done this since the early 80s. They do a survey. They call homeowners and 
it's it's kind of I'm just going to generalize this. Hey, you know, if if you had to rent your home, what would you rent it for? So those are the ways they look at this. It's uh, you know, six percent year over year, the total shelter complex. I would say it peaked out in I'd say April of twenty three, and it's been trending lower, which is good. The thing that I guess. You know, owner's equivalent rent is about 4.6% year over year. Rent is about 1.3% year over year. And I don't know. I mean, our argument, I'll use my words first. You can tell me if you agree with this. The longer the Fed keeps rates high, the more pressure there is on some of this rent and owner's equivalent rent because if you're a homeowner and you're buying a home, your mortgage costs are higher. But, you know, people own property and they're paying servicing costs and then they have to, you know, people are renting. So I, I think it's actually higher rates are putting pressure. They're not easing those those rents. But yeah, in this in this world, we, we've talked about this multiple times, right? In this world, it's the almost get the adverse, uh, the inverse adverse, whichever way effect that the Fed is <clears throat> uh, uh, causing by keeping rents higher. So while, you know, you're slowing down the real estate market. You're also increasing the cost in the real estate market, which is why you've slowed it down. It's weird. It is a weird dynamic here, right? So, it, I, like Derek, I think it's going in the right way. This is, you know, the uh, shelter has always been kind of the the part that we thought was not accurately reflected in the CPI numbers. Um, I think it is the one thing that is weighted very differently in the PCE versus CPI. I can't remember exactly what that was, but I heard that this week. So I, I, you know, it's important to watch this, Derek, but it is going in the correct direction, but it's still high. It is still high. Oh, it is. It is. It's still high, but yeah. And it, and there's going to be a lag too, because the way this works is you're not just picking people who are newly renting today. You're looking at the rents and they sort of have an amalgamation of, you know, um, people who have six months left, people have, you know, there's, I won't get into it. I'm going to bore the the three people who are left listening. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a little sticky, a little laggy, a little sticky. And, you know, so I think, by the way, shelter accounts for a third of PCE or a third of CPI. I think it's more of PCE, but I could be wrong on that. Could be wrong All on right. a lot of things. That would be well, one of them, but, you know. You know. I don't know. Uh, the all right, Jay, let's switch it to VIX. Like, really, VIX? That's all you got? Go to, <laughs> go to 18 for a day, right around eight, just south of 18. And no, we're back back today down to, you know, 14 and a quarter. All good, right? And, and it's been a lot of the day below 14, by the yeah. way. Yeah. So back to the, you know, the low regime message. Like, it's this, <laughs> we talked about volatility when we talked about skew. We'll talk about it again. It is hovering and staying low like you well it it almost peaked above 18 intraday i think it's still closed at 16 Derek. i don't think it closed at 18 right when we had the little bit of a now i gotta look when we had that little bit uh uh of a sell-off yeah that day it closed oh not even 16 15.8 now that is the highest it's been since it was coming down in november after the sell-off in october but Look, I mean, there's a little trend up, right? The lows are a little higher. The highs are a little higher. But, you know, the VIX still 
not, you know, no alarm bells going off here. Like you got to get above 16 for us to really consider it anything. Right. And for, I think 20 is more notable, but still low. Think still low. Don't you think this is one of the frustrations for a lot of people where they say, well, the VIX is low. It's got to, you know, I'm going to buy it now because it's low. And Jay, I mean, it's not the case. I mean, people will use, yeah, no, people will use the VIX as kind of a contrarian indicator, like, oh, low VIX. That means the markets, you know, the, the, the law of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the crowd is wrong. Well, they haven't been wrong for a long time. Like the VIX dropped below 14 back on, you know, November 20th or so. And it's pretty much stayed below with, with the exception of a handful of days, uh, Tuesday being one of them. I could see like maybe three or four other days where we closed above 14. So if you were a, a, a buyer of volatility because you thought the VIX was a contrarian indicator, you've been wrong for months. Um, the VIX can be, you know, low for a while, right? Um, when you look at, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about this, Dark, the, the volatility of the market of what's projected versus what's been experienced. So even though the, the, volata- the VIX right now is 14, the, the the actual volatility experienced, and this includes Tuesday, has been less than 12. So at 14, Derek, I could make the argument that it's higher than what, it's more expensive than it should be, even here. So, you know, the beginning of the year, like where we ended the year, like the 30, and this is just, you know, sorry, it's a 20-day number. I should probably look at a 30-day number. But the 20-day number was like a 10, meaning a 10 vol, meaning not a lot of volatility in the market. That's a low volatility, everybody. A 10 volatility is low. So when the VIX is at 10, right, that is very extreme. We really didn't see a lot of that except for 2017. So it's one of those things where even though the VIX is a 14, Derek, it's still more expensive than what has actually occurred, the volatility of the market itself. What day was that that it went to 18? Um, I'm, I downloaded the, the SKU data. Let me see if I actually have that day in the uh, – was that the 14th? It was, wasn't uh, it? It was Tuesday, which would have been uh, what? 11th or 13th, I believe. Oh, I don't have the 13th. Darn it. I've up to the twelfth on my. I was going to do it live. Look at the scheme. Oh, on your yeah, no, no. It was it was uh, February thirteenth. For you, all right. And and it didn't get to eighteen. By the way, it almost got there. It almost seventeen nine something. Yeah. Well, close enough for government work, but yeah, well, it's you know, or this podcast, either way. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll round up, round down, whatever whatever makes more sense. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean. I'm trying to think if there's any connection with the skew and the VIX and maybe, and I think it goes to your point, maybe the VIX or the, the S and P puts are where they ought to be or where they normally would be. And maybe it's just the calls have risen because you would think that the skew would change a lot more. Um, or if it's very close, I don't know. I'm thinking out loud. I'll, I'll, I'll run some numbers on that. Jay, what about the, what about the, the VIX? What's going on there? Okay, so the VIX, this is the implied volatility of the VIX index, right? So there you have a VIX, right, which is we talked about, which is the implied volatility of the market. There's actually options on that index itself. Uh, so you could buy and sell puts and calls on the VIX if you have a directional bias. 
buyer beware on that. Tough to trade the VIX. Yeah. Don't, for a don't lot do of that, folks. Don't do it yeah. at all. Yeah. That you know, Derek and I paid a lot of tuition trading the VIX. Just we'll leave it at that. Um, anyway, it doesn't mean we don't do it, <laughs> despite despite our education. Uh, I would say, but the VIX is the, the um, index that shows us the volatility on the VIX options themselves, right? How much people are willing to pay for movement in the VIX index, and so that has also been kind of hovering in the low eighties. We saw a little pop on Tuesday. But so when when the VIX is in the the VIX is in the eighties again, it says that you know uh, buying uh, VIX or, or the the price of VIX options themselves are kind of on the low end, right? An eighty implied volatility on the VIX. So it, it's it's you know Derek, it's not really te- it's it's not compressing, it's not telling us too much, except that the VIX, the options are cheap on the VIX, and you'd think that that was also a contrarian indicator, right? When people aren't even willing to use the VIX to pay up for uh, for protection, that you know, just everybody is you know just just not feeling any fear. But you know that I mean that's what's happening. Like they're not willing to pay up. Like you don't you're not paying a lot of money to get you know to buy the VIX the VIX options the VIX thirties. Like like everybody you know the standard spot you go to when you want to buy a VIX option is the is the thirty. Right. Everybody says, oh, if the VIX really spikes, I want to look at the cost of the 30 strike option because that's that's kind of a spot where the VIX kind of gets to uh, from time to time. Right. When things are really fearful. We saw that in early uh, early last year. Right. In in March, we saw that the VIX almost got to 30. So, you know, I'm I'm looking at the VIX option chain right now, Derek, on the fly and. Like there's not a lot of open interest across the board. I'm almost feeling like I'm looking at the wrong darn open interest. I mean, not till you get to the the March 13th options do you see any real volume. And when I look at the 30 strike, which is the one I just mentioned, yeah, it's got 147,000 contracts there and it's the biggest one. It's because where everybody goes. But, you know, there's it's still relatively cheap, 25 cents to buy that option. I'm not telling people to buy it because the mar- in order for that to really pay off, the market has to get above 30. The VIX has to get above 30 and stay there for a while. But yeah, cheap. VIX options are cheap. And call options are expensive on the Russell 2000. Wow. Well, so what do we do with that? We, <laughs> <we're> what? <laughs> I mean, it's we were messaging internally, and I think one of our... Uh, you know, our head of trading, Mick Brokaw, made the point. Russell was down what four or five percent in that one day on that sell-off. It, it was it was down over five at one point. Yep, closed down four that day. And that was versus the S and P was down at that point, down about one point seven five. Right. So yeah, greater yep. more than yeah. That's that's a little bit of a ratio there, which has some interesting tangents on itself. But yeah, like. You would think, okay, so so imagine this. It's not quite the same as all-time highs while you're in a recession, but you'd say, oh, yeah, at the very point that the index is selling off, the calls are sort of richly priced relative to puts. Like, how does it even make sense? You'd think everyone was piling into puts, but no. No, it's it's not. All okay. Right. That's it. That's we'll leave it there. Any recommendations? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> no, I that's know. it. You, you got nothing on the rod. All right. Well, 
We'll save I, it. I don't. I don't. I, you look. I told you we're looking at it. We'll see what happens with the rut. I don't know. We'll. Uh, we'll, we'll. We'll. All right. We don't want to give up too. Give give too much away. Right. We don't give any recommendations. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. Not a um, recommendation. Not that do, recommendation. Do your own research, and uh, you know, if you want to buy the Nikkei index, you buy the the Japan index. If you don't, you don't. Recommendations, Jay. Uh, all right. Well, um, I watched, uh, one of the Marvel movies that came out. I think, you know, I like the Marvel stuff. You're, you're kind of quasi, you do it, you don't do it. It was okay. It was the Marvels. It was, uh, not great. So not a great recommendation there. Um, I wish I had something good for you, Derek, this week. It's been, I was at a conference. Oh, you know what? I could recommend Miami. Um, I was at the ETF conference all week. Mm. Uh, in Miami, and uh, Miami's still a great place to go in February. Of course, I live in Florida, so it's it's not that much of a of a of, of an improvement for me. But uh, you know, good time. I would tell you. I don't know if you want me to tell you this, but that conference really focused a lot of focus on you know Bitcoin being allowed, spot Bitcoin being allowed to be held in ETF. So a lot of discussion about that. You know what? There was no discussion about international. Nobody was talking about international investing at all. Not a single session even touched on adding international to your portfolio. So, you know, maybe that's something to think about, right? All the the, the pomp around uh, crypto, no one's talking international. I guess we'll see that reversal when it comes. Interesting that you brought up Japan, right? Nobody even brought it up. So, I don't know. I would say Miami was still a good time. Uh, Super Bowl was boring for most of it. So, you know, not even my most favorite game either. I don't know. Nothing great. I guess I'm blah this week. What I do, do you like, No, I, I do like Miami. And, and at least you gave, it's not like Mike Puck who recommended an air conditioning repair place in Miami that our Belgian and Norwegian listeners and I, we got some listeners around the world. So, you know, they can go you know, to Miami. I, it's yeah, a good place. Miami, the, the Fountain Blue is where the conference was. Great place. Long, long history and reputation at the Fountain Blue. They just opened a new one in Vegas, didn't they? Yep, they did. That's the so found, that's the original though, the Miami one. It is in South Beach. Well, no, it's just Miami Beach. It's not really South Beach. It's still too far north, and it's not North Beach, so it's just Miami Beach. By the way, I'm I'm writing this down. I don't know where I'm going to put it. I'll, I'll put it on a scrap piece of paper. But contrarian slash international question mark. No one's talking about it. No one's okay. talking about it. File that away. Uh, more, more on that. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an exchange traded product or exchange, you know, an ETF conference. But you're saying it really focused on Bitcoin. That's that's the that's the big thing. Okay, all right. I mean, is there that much interest in Bitcoin ETFs? I don't know. Yep. I mean, are the dollars showing it though? I mean, are they really coming in? Yep. Okay. All right. Sorry. Uh, Look, I didn't even bring any guests and I didn't even want to bring it up, but I'll, you know, I'll sneak a Bitcoin uh, advocate on the next time we got someone coming in. Well, I'll look forward to that. Love when that happens. I know. It's uh, all right. I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how much money actually goes into these Bitcoin ETFs. Isn't it all just coming out of the one that was the grayscale? Isn't it just coming out of there? 
Well, there's there is plenty coming out of Grayscale, right? Because of fees, of, uh, you know, maybe we don't want to get into all that. But yes, there there is money moving around, but there is absolutely money flowing into it. So, um, I actually got to meet Michael Saylor on this trip. If you know who Michael Saylor, is he's the CEO of MicroStrategies, mm, huge interesting, advocate, huge advocate for Bitcoin. Um, uh, and uh, you know, we got to talk to him about his outlook. Um, yeah, it'd be great. Maybe he would come on the show. On the show one time, we'll see if I get. I should have handed him, uh, you know, should have handed him your card. Call Derek. Come on this wonderful show and debate the merits of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Look, I love talking to people who I, I have a different position on, because if it's a good discussion and you're asking the right questions and it's a, a good dialogue, yeah, absolutely. I've been wrong tons of times. Clearly, you know, me not liking Bitcoin and it's. I didn't like it at 20,000. I don't like it at 50,000. So I, I have no idea where this thing's going. You know, I have my opinions on it, but yeah, I'd love to have them on. So, all right. What a, what a, but Miami, I'm, I'm bullish on mango juice, by the way, Jay, in Miami. You mentioned that, how much you liked it last time you were in Miami. I can tell you, there's something about, mango. yeah, I like All right, like I'm going to send you some mangoes, buddy. There's mangoes all over my neighborhood. I'm going to send you. Do you have like the yellow ones or the, the red? What do, what do they get when they're red? Yeah, they like yellow. Oh, yellow. Okay. All right. I'm interested. I'm in. My recommendation this week. So I'm going to watch the final episode of True Detective season four. I think it comes out. What is it? We're recording on Friday. It comes out tonight. Uh, It's it's more like horror slash, not necessarily horror, but sci-fi. I talked about that last week. But so far, I'd have enjoyed it. But I, I don't know. I think I'm the only one watching it. No one else has even talked about it with me. So we'll see what happens there. And uh, F no F one doesn't start till next se- next week, Jay. So that will be a okay. That's a little. Oh, I know what I wanted to. So you were off the podcast that week, and I wanted to make sure you got this recommendation. Not like I don't talk to you outside of the podcast, but Society <laughs> okay. of Society of Snow. It's a docudrama on Netflix about the uh, the Chilean uh, the Uruguayan. Uruguayan uh, rugby team who went down in the Chilean mountains in 1972. Society of Snow. Got it. Society okay. of Snow. Yeah, it's, I'm pounding the table on that. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. All right. That's it, Jay. That's all I got. Let's, all right, let's end well, this here. Yeah. You know, I wish we could be. Let's, let's see. Maybe, maybe we'll have a little more fear next week and we'll see what happens. Uh, Should we scare people? Do we scare people or I mean, encourage people this week? To. You threw out the CPI numbers. You threw out the Volatopolis thing. You we're talking about put skew and calls. It's, you know, you, maybe you I can. I, I, well, we either confused, scared, or make people happy. Either way. <laughs> Markets go up over the time though. It's okay. That's why I got this board with all time highs being checked off. Did you know, Derek? Yeah. 36% of the time, the market is within 3% of an all-time high. Think about that. I mean, imagine if everybody who who was like, oh, we're getting close to an all-time high. I should should go to cash. Like, imagine if that was the reaction. Like, Yeah, that would be – it's very normal to be near an all-time high. It is. You'd just be in cash. All right, that's it, Jay. I'm calling it. See ya. All right. Bye, Derek. Bye.